Two humorous nurses would like to acknowledge the true custodians of the land in which we record our podcast, the Yorta Yorta people. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and extend our respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders listening today. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. This episode is brought to you by eNurse, Australia's leading nurse shop. Head over to enurse.com.au. eNurse loves our nurses. Two Humorous Nurses with Kelly and Alicia. The podcast that's killing it! Yo! <laughs> Welcome to Two Humorous Nurses, where we plan to bring you funny, informal, conversational chat about all things nursing. We are back, baby. Back. We're starting with our absolute favourite, nurses who kill. Got a couple of doozies today. Oh Cannot wait to tell you about mine, but first, tell us who you've got. Well, today I am doing... Charles Edmund Cullen. Charles Straight Edmund Cullen. Straight white guy. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was born on the 22nd of February 1960 in West Orange, New Jersey, to a working class Irish Catholic family. Fellow Aquarian. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, he's a Pisces. Never yeah, I was going to say, he's an yep. Aquarian. Anyway. <laughs> um, he's the youngest of eight children, and his father, Edmund, was a bus driver who was 56 when Charles was born, and he died later that year in September. Oh, the year he was born. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, when Charles was seven months old. Mm. So Cullen described his childhood as miserable and claimed to have been constantly bullied by his sister's boyfriends and his schoolmates. Uh, and when he was nine, he made the first of many suicide attempts by drinking chemicals from a chemical, a chemistry set. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. When he was nine. Nine, yep. Life must have been bad. Yeah, he was the youngest of eight, so, yeah. And how did he know at nine that that was going to kill him? Well, it didn't, so, yeah. Well, but, yeah, I guess. Scary. Who knows? Um, later, while working as a nurse, Cullen claimed that he fantasised about stealing drugs from hospitals, which he worked at, and then using them to end his life. Oh, my God. Yeah. Bit of a trigger warning. There's a lot of suicidal attempts during this. Yeah, in mine too, actually. Yeah. Um, Cullen's mother, Florence Cullen, uh, immigrated to the United States from England after World War II, um, and she was killed in a car accident in December of 1977, age 55, when Charles, Charles was in his senior year of high school. Cullen recalled his mother's death as being devastating and that he had been upset that the hospital did not immediately inform him of her death and that he um, – and it would not return her body um, oh. and instead it had, had it cremated, which I guess if you're Irish Catholic is not ideal. It's um, interesting that they would do that without discussions. Yeah. Well, I wonder – Maybe if he had other siblings. Power of attorneys and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was the 70s, so – um, the following year, Charles dropped out of high school and enlisted in the U.S. Navy, where he served aboard the submarine USS Woodrow Wilson. Cullen successfully passed basic training and the rigorous psychological examinations required for submarine crews um, because they were expected to spend as long as um, two months at a time submerged in a cramped yeah, right. vessel. Yeah. Um, during his time in the Navy, Cullen didn't fit in. He was hazed and bullies bullied relentlessly by fellow crewmen. He attempted suicide and was committed to the Navy psychiatric ward several times over the years. Right. He was a Navy man. And then came became a nurse with all that history. Yeah. Yep. So he was medically discharged from the Navy in 1984 and not long after. Medically discharged as in because he was unfit medically. Yeah. Right. Well, because he yeah. obviously had psychological But that's issues. what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I'm assuming he became a nurse. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Not long after, enrolled in Mountainside Hospital School of Nursing in Montclair, New Jersey. Gosh. Um, he was elected president of his nursing class, <laughs> graduated in 1986, um, and commenced working at a Burns unit at St Barnabas Medical Centre in Livingston, New Jersey. Um, during that time, he met and married Adrian Baum, his first wife, in 1987, and they had two children together. His wife described becoming increasingly disturbed by his unusual behaviour and his abuse of the family dogs. Oh. I know animal abuse just... It's a... Like it's like a, a It's one of the psychotic drugs. triangle, mm. isn't it? Isn't there like yeah. a... Yeah. 
Cullen's married life wasn't idyllic um, and after the wedding, Cullen lost a lot of interest in his wife, avoiding contact and often sleeping in separate beds. The marriage failed in 1993 um, and, yeah, as I said, they had two daughters in that time. Um, right, so let's get to the murders. We're going to start in the middle. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. It's Why not? Because it's it's a very long <laughs> A long career of killing. Of killing. Yeah. So February 14, 1991, Anna Byers, she was being prepped for a myocardial restoration surgery and ordered a mix of saline and heparin. Um, 30 minutes past commencing the heparin infusion, she deteriorated significantly with nausea, cold sweats and convulsions. Path showed significantly high insulin levels um, and was given an antidote. <laughs> I don't know what the antidote was, but sugar anyway, probably. <laughs> she was given the antidote, didn't say it in the article, mm. um, and her levels returned to normal. Once she was stable, the heparin infusion was recommenced and again she rapidly deteriorated. Ooh. It didn't take long for staff to realise that the heparin ba- bag had been compromised An analysis of that bag showed huge amounts of insulin. And an internal investigation revealed that there wasn't an isolated incident and similar incidents had happened in other departments. Authorities believe that someone was deliberately poisoning drips administered to patients. Further investigation revealed that Cullen, 31 years old and four years into his nursing career, could be linked to all cases. Right. How many cases? Uh, Just multiple, it said. Yeah. Of course, Cullen denied everything and there was no evidence to actually prosecute him. Yeah, of course. So for fear of, um, and this is a sort of reoccurring theme through the whole thing, but fear of lawsuits and negative press, they didn't terminate him. Mm-hmm. But the hospital did try to catch him out by putting cameras in drug rooms and medication procedures in place for like insulin mm-hmm. signing out and stuff. But insulin poisoning continued to happen <laughs> until oh. October um, later that year, 1991, that Cullen quit and then boom, no more insulin poisoning accidents. So he um, went and got another job elsewhere. But a couple of years later, in March of 1993, Cullen broke into his co-worker's home while she and her young son slept, but he left without waking them and he began to stalk the woman who filed a police report against him. Cullen subsequently pleaded guilty to trespassing and received a year of probation. The day after Hang his on. arrest. How do they know that? Like they're sleeping. Yeah. No, there was evidence of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think he admitted to it. He admits to a lot of stuff. Right. Yeah. He gets caught and just admits it. Okay. Yeah. Great. <laughs> um, so after his, the day after his arrest, he attempted suicide again. He took two months off work because like the one year probation wasn't enough. He took two months off work <laughs> and was treated for depression in two different psychiatric facilities, but he attempted suicide twice more by the end of that year. Shit. Yeah. Um, September 1993 at Warren Hospital, an elderly lady called Helen Dean was recovering post-breast cancer surgery, her son by her side. He said that a nurse that he'd never met prior to coming in the room uh, asked him to leave. Now, they had been there for an extended period of time and he felt like he knew all the nurses on the ward and had this son was saying he had relationships with all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, when a new nurse came in and asked him to leave the room, he was a bit suspicious. Mm -hmm. But he left and he witnessed um, Cullen injecting Helen with an undisclosed medication. Mm -hmm. The next day she developed a cardiac arrhythmia, fatigue, excessive sweating and passed away. They couldn't – they attempted to do – um, some cardiac surgery mm. to, uh, I don't know, it didn't say, it just said cardiac surgery, but I imagine maybe like, um, you know, cardioversion or something if she right. was in an arrhythmia, but they couldn't save her. So is this the first kill? No. Okay. No, this is the first um, one where someone has become suspicious. And directly linked him to the Yeah. Yeah. So the son began a private investigation because the hospital wasn't interested. Oh, my God. And he contacted the mo- his mother's oncologist who said that there wasn't any injections ordered and there would be no reason for that nurse to be but in But he's the like, room. this is what I saw. Yeah. Yeah. An autopsy was ordered and it showed um, toxicology results were clear. Right. For what, what they looked for. Mm-hmm. Um, the son, in cooperation with the hospital, reported it to the prosecutor's office that perhaps Cullen had um, attempted murder mm-hmm. of this uh, Helen. Um, but Cullen was investigated 
investigated, proclaimed his innocence and even passed the polygraph test. What? (laughs) Helen's... Uh, Helen's death was ruled natural causes and Cullen was placed on indefinite paid leave. Oh, my God. So the hospital must have had some suspicions. I did read later in an article um, that they the autopsy on Helen didn't actually test for cardiac medications. Right. So so they weren't even looking for malicious, like, No, means. they just were testing for, um, I, I suppose, like, substances that might. But they if she had a cardiac incident... Wouldn't you test for cardiac drugs? Turns out he probably used digoxin, which mm. is his ammo of choice. Mm-hmm. Ammo of choice? <laughs> ammo of choice. Ammo? It's like <laughs> ammunition, isn't it? In 1994, he was working in an ICU, CCU at Hunterdon Medical Centre in Flemington, Jeez. New Jersey. He claims he didn't harm anyone in the first two years that he worked there. However, when he was arrested in 2003, the hospital records from that time were, had actually been destroyed because what? it was past the seven years oh. mark. So, yeah. Um, but he did admit on, on his arrest in 2003, so like nine years later, that he murdered five patients between January and September of 1996, all with overdoses of jejoxin. Right. And he was, ne- yeah, and obviously never yeah. caught. Also, until- side note, night shift nurse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting. <laughs> Listening to yours, mine is like, is so similar in yeah. lots of the, yeah. Um, in September 1996 and a f- between September 1996 and February 1998, Cullen was fired from um, new job, a new job that he took on after Huntington Medical Centre for poor performance. Um, and then he remained unemployed for about six months, um, leading to depression, multiple suicide attempts and admissions to psychiatric facilities. Was he an addict at that point, do you know? No, I don't I don't believe there was any, mm. ad, like, drug or alcohol issues. Right. Um, and he had the ability to be psychiatrically normal oh, when, yeah. yeah, like he could pass... I mean, I don't know if passing a polygraph test when you're lying is psychiatrically normal, no, but he has the ability to control that. Yeah, yeah. I think it become like a very personable mm. person, obviously, while killing people. Yeah. In February 1998, he was hired at the Liberty Nursing and Rehab Centre in Allentown, Pennsylvania, where he staffed a ward of respirator-dependent patients. Um, he'd been seen entering patients' rooms with syringes, giving medications at unscheduled times. Um, and one encounter left a patient with a broken arm. <laughs> what? And I could not find out what that had to do with anyway, whether that patient was trying to fight was him his, off. Yeah. And, yeah. And it should be known that all these patients weren't his allocated patients. Right. Um, did he say at all about how he selected who he would kill? Yeah, a bit later I get yeah, to right. a little bit. He did murder at least one patient while at Liberty and blamed, but it was blamed on another nurse. <gasps> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, he left there, he just, like, left there. <laughs> just left. <laughs> just left. Got a new job at Eastern Hospital in November of 1998, um, not for long, for about six months, where he murdered multiple times again. Coroner's blood test showed lethal leather levels of digoxin in patients' blood. An internal investigation was inconclusive, but evidence definitely did not, sorry, but ev- evidence did not definitively point to Cullen. Right. So he could be linked, but they couldn't really – there was nothing they could do. I think in a lot of these they find it really hard to prove it even if they are yeah. onto it. Because there would be multiple people you could link to a patient. Absolutely. I guess. So even with his history of mental instability and the number of deaths during his employment at various hospitals, Cullen continued to find work. Um, this was mostly put down to a national shortage of nurses. Mm-hmm. Additionally, no reporting mechanisms yet existed for um, to identify nurses within mental health or employment problems. And I think he's obviously started in New Jersey, then went to Pennsylvania. Yeah. So there's probably no communication between yep. those two states. Exactly. Like if there's unions or um, like a governing body. Yeah. Mm. And there was always the concern of liability with um, May that hospitals were unwilling to take significant action against him because, mm. you know, like America's quite a litigious state so people mm. can sue hospitals mm. And because directly. they're privately run for profit. Oh, of course. Yeah. Money talks. Yeah. In March 1999, he had, uh, had had multiple jobs and had murdered at least five patients, attempted murder of two patients, um, and he attempted suicide again in January 2000. He did that... 
How does he attempt suicide? Right. You want this one? Oh, okay. Yeah. He lit a charcoal grill in the bathtub and wanted to succumb to carbon monoxide poisoning. What the fuck? Neighbours called the fire brigade. <laughs> and he was what taken to hospital. He was taken to the hospital and then to a psychiatric facility but was discharged the following day. Oh, my God. I know. Ugh. In 2002, so there were a couple of years there where it, like, there was just nothing. Mm. Cullen was working at St. Luke's Hospital in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, when a worker found some medication vials in a rubbish bin. The investigation showed that Cullen had taken the medication um, and so the hospital offered him a deal to either resign with a neutral recommendation or be fired. Mm, He resigned. Of course he did. (laughs) Yeah. Jesus. Um, Not long after he resigned, seven co-workers at St. Luke's alerted the um, Lahai County District Attorney of their suspicions that Cullen had used the drugs to kill patients. Right. Investigations never looked into Cullen's past and the case was dropped nine months later (sighs) due to no evidence. Like they didn't even do a background check on like where he'd been or what had happened. what his life looked like. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. In September of um, – so a couple months after he'd, he'd um, left St. Luke's, he got a job at Somerset Medical Centre in Somerville, New Jersey. So he'd moved back to New mm-hmm. Jersey. In a critical care unit, he began dating a local woman, but his depression worsened. As his social life deteriorated, like marriage deteriorations, yep. failed relationships, mm-hmm. his killing escalated. Mm-hmm. Um, so while things were sort of okay, he he could go periods without yeah. doing anything. Um, at this stage, he'd killed at least 13 patients and had attempted to kill at least one by mid-2003, so like eight months. God. Mm. Mm. So his total is looking at like Huge. 30? Yeah. So his drugs of choice were digoxin, insulin and adrenaline. Um but this was the time of his undoing. I think he started to get a little bit sloppy. Yeah. Um, the hospital started to notice that Cullen had access records of patients whom he wasn't assigned to mm-hmm. um, and that co-workers had started um, to see him in patients' rooms that he wasn't assigned to. So yeah. people were starting to be a little bit more alert. Yeah. Also, computerised medication cabinets had started to come in mm-hmm. um, and it showed that Cullen was requesting medications that his patients had not been prescribed. So there was that trail starting yeah. to, like, open things up. Yeah. Um, in July 2003, the Executive Director of the New Jersey Poisons Information and Education System warned Somerset officials that at least four suspicious overdoses indicated the possibility that an employee was killing patients. Right. So what they do about it? They didn't do anything. <laughs> they delayed contacting authorities until October. Get this, though. In that time, he killed another five patients oh and attempted murder of another patient. The nurse alert the police. I'm sorry. Nurses alerted police, and um, that convinced police to investigate Cullen. It wasn't the hospitals mm, doing it. it was doing nurses. it. It was nurses. Um, Cullen was arrested on in December of 2003, and he was charged with one count of murder and one count of attempted murder. You're joking, because that's all they could prove. Yeah. On December 14. He admitted – so he was – sorry, he was arrested on December 12. On December 14, he admitted to homicide detectives that he had murdered as many as 40 patients over his 16-year career as a nurse. In theory, they believed he'd killed well over 100 people. Oh but that's what he had, he admitted to. In April 2004, Cullen pleaded guilty to killing 13 patients and attempting murder of two others. He took a plea agreement to cooperate with authorities – um, and give them more people that he had murdered mm-hmm. if they didn't seek the death penalty. Um, a month later, he pleaded guilty to three more murders. And then um, later in that year, he pleaded guilty to six more murders. So he, his motive, he claims that he administered, he administered overdoses to patients to spare them from being coded or going into cardiac or respiratory arrest and being listed as a code blue emergency. He told detectives that he could not bear witness to or hear about attempts at saving victims' lives. So he wasn't one that gave them something and then helped resuscitate them. Right. He, he 
that he idea. He gave them something to kill them. Kill them. And didn't want a bar of resuscitating them. Right. Yeah. And didn't want a bar of anyone didn't, else doing no, it either. No, wasn't interested in, in that. Like it, it really turned him off. Right. <laughs> But he also states that he gave patients overdoses so he could end their suffering and prevent hospital personnel from dehumanising them. Mm. That's not um, – it's not consistent because not all of his victims were terminal patients. No. Some um, patients were actually expected to recover and go home oh. when he was killed. There were quite a few younger victims as well, like victims in their 30s that had just had orthopaedic surgeries oh for broken limbs and things like that. So not they weren't all old victims do you have to wonder then like does he really believe that that's why he did it or is he just saying that saying that exactly yeah yeah. um one of the nurses that uh testified against him described many of the victims people on the mend Mm. uh march 2006 so a couple of years later cullen was finally sentenced to 11 consecutive life sentences and he's not eligible for parole (laughs) until 2388 <laughs> I wasn't one sure thing even I really love about like, I really love that about the US um like judicial oh, system. Yeah. <laughs> they fucking go hard. I, know, I watched um I am killer. I am a killer on Netflix. They yeah. have a new season out and the yeah. lady had murdered her husband. And she's like, I got a life sentence plus twenty six years. Yeah. <laughs> and just to make sure you're like really You're dead. really gonna yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um yeah, I mean Colin was pretty significantly psychologically destroyed yeah um from a young age mm-hmm. and then he just went on to kill and i didn't focus too much on on what he of the victims i guess because i felt like there were just so many i couldn't yeah, do absolutely. it justice but yeah. he just really wanted to get in there and he just really had the drive to actually kill people it's yeah i think i i really we almost need to do like a profile on serial killers i actually saw a study that somebody had done like a research project for their like PhD or something, and they looked at like what mm. what possesses n- some nurses to become serial killers. But I actually think it's they're already serial killers in yeah. their mind, and then they just happen to become nurses. Yeah, and like, they have like access to easy ways of doing it. You have access I, to medication. You have patient trust. Yeah, absolutely. And you have hospitals that don't want to be uh, sued. Mm. Um, I reckon if I was a nurse. Who killed? I'd want to make sure I was wearing scrubs that were like practical and had heaps of pockets to hold my syringes of death. What like moisture wicking material, yeah. so <laughs> yeah. in case you get really nervous and sweaty when you're trying Stretchy to kill so someone. Run away, easily up. washable in case you know you accidentally spill some blood and guts on you. <laughs> like. Oh my god! Well, um, then you'll have to go and get some elite care scrubs from Enus. <laughs> Um, oh. No, they're actually amazing. And for the price point, like I think they're probably one of the better scrubs on the market, like as far as, you know, value for money. The Elite Care range is like, you know, quite a few styles and colours as well. And they're pretty size inclusive, really. I think Very size inclusive. I yeah. got a black set. They're super comfy. They're like, they're more durable, I think. Like they're more like a full on utility, stacks of pockets, loops. Yeah. Everything you'd need. Stick and they're pretty comfy. Stick your death in one pocket and your pen to write your notes in the other pocket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> E-Nurse is Australia's leading nurse shop specialising in everything that a nurse would need to survive every shift from high quality and stylish nursing scrub sets to handheld study guides and nursing equipment. They truly are one-stop shop for everything you need. Head to enurse.com.au to check out their great range. E-Nurse, love our nurses. Love our nurses. Right. What have you got? Mine is like strikingly similar to yours but I've gone a different way with it normally I like look for articles and stuff like from the media because they're more easily accessible and somehow I came across the transcripts of the transcript of one of her interviews that she did with police after she was sentenced I also found the statement of agreed facts from Mm, the court which interesting yeah it was super interesting and it gave me a totally different like perspective uh, each of them gave me a different perspective. So I'm doing Elizabeth Wetloffer, who... Wetloffer? Wet, well, it's like Wetlaufer. She's from Canada. Anyway. Yeah. I'm saying it's Wetlaufer. Wetlaufer. Wet <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know what a Canadian accent is. <laughs> so it's interesting, though, because reading her interview, I really became quite compassionate and sympathetic. Like, just... Yeah. I only read the interview. I didn't watch it. Yeah. Um, and I could really see things from her side. Mm. And then reading the statement of agreed facts, obviously, mm. I was like, bitch, mm. you a cold-blooded murderer. 
So, <laughs> we'll get into it. Yeah. so born in Toronto, Ontario, uh, when she was four, her family moved to Woodstock, Ontario. She was an average student through school and as a teenager, so she realised she was bisexual and she was sent to gay conversion camp. Oh, she flunked her first year of journalism at college and then decided that God was telling her to become a missionary. So she's from a very strict Baptist family, um, lived the church life growing up. Um, she went to Bible college. I didn't even know that was oh. a thing. Yep. Uh, sh- and she got a degree in religious education, specialising in counselling. And then she thought she wanted to become a missionary. And the best way to do that as a single woman was to become either a teacher or a nurse. So she is off to nursing school. Wow. After a gay conversion therapy. Uh, she gets – so after being like a, basically a shit student in school and then she goes to nursing school, she gets straight A's during nursing school um, and has a great life, loves living the dream and um, starts abusing alcohol at mm. nursing school. And uh, her final placement was at Geraldton, which <laughs> this is 16 hours north of Toronto in oh. the same state. And I'm like, like – Just how big's Canada? Well, it's like reminds me of WA. Like it's like <laughs> – how long's the drive from bottom to top? <laughs> I'm like, that's one state. And then I thought, well, we have a giant state too. Yeah. Um, so she went, yeah, she went to her final placement and then decided she was going to stay on there after her last placement because they do like six months or something yeah. at the end of their training. And she thought, well, I'm going to stay on and work here. So um, that was 1995 she started working there and um, it was Geraldton District Association for Community Living which supported people with developmental challenges. And she starts suffering from depression. You know, she's kind of isolated and she steals 30 lorazepam tablets and Mm. tries to kill herself. She pops the pills at the end of her, well, sort of towards the end of her shift, but she's still got a few jobs to do. (laughs) So she goes around and gives out some meds to her patients and the other nurses are like, what the, (laughs) like this, why is she behaving so strangely? she pop all 30? Yeah, she pops all 30 lorazepam. Oh, Christ. Um, and her colleagues end up saving her life and then she gets sacked. Yeah, well. Mm. Reason, ugh, like for good reasonable. reason, really. Yeah. So then she doesn't work for about eight months trying to get her mental health right, really like, um, you know, and, and they also, the the nurses' college, which I think is like the opera equivalent in, in yeah. Canada, starts investigating her because okay. she's had this overdose in, at yeah. work. Um, so knowing that she's like, well, I'm going to get my head right. I'm going to do all the right things. Um, the nurses union get involved and they basically like, I think this is so cool. They put, they tell her you need to get into AA if you want to be a nurse, like you've got to, you've got to get your shit together. So they put her in this like AA, it's kind of like a parole program where she has to have supervision and go, Mm. um, she has counseling with a psychiatrist once a month and then weekly AA meetings for healthcare workers with addiction problems, which I was like, that's cool. This is great. Like we need more of this. Right. But of course in Canada. And then she marries a truck driver in 1997 and she gets clean and sober and does all the right things. Starts working as like a PCA because I think because of everything that she had going on with the nurses union, I don't know that she was allowed to really work as a nurse. So she starts working in a group home for people with disabilities. I think she's back in Woodstock now. Um, And those people had really difficult behaviours and this place was called Christian Horizons. And the ratio was like three staff to five. So pretty serious, like serious disabilities with lots of complications, I guess. So they need lots of support. And, um, so when she goes to that job, like she tells her new boss about what happened at her last workplace and he's, you know, all about supporting her, but then he leaves and, and so then a new boss comes that doesn't know anything about it. I'm yep. sure. Yeah, pretty sure. And um, she actually uses a lot of her nursing skills, like creating training programs and teaching new staff how to give medications oh. and stuff. And she actually like develops a manual handling training program and de- delivers it all over the state. Like she was so quite successful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And then... Uh, she's suspended briefly while they investigated claims that she was emotionally abusive to a resident and neglectful, but they investigated her for one day and decided that she was found innocent, Um, which I think a lot of those private um, homes and things, like it's expensive to have a nurse off on pay, so it's easier to get them back to work and cheaper. So she works there for 11 years and she has a really good record there, really enjoys it, but she starts – she starts getting into like some lesbian and bisexual chat rooms and meets a woman online. Her husband finds out about it and he decides to divorce her. 
Um, so she's there for 11 years at, at, um, at, at Christian Horizons and doesn't steal any drugs and she's and stays sober that whole sure. time. Then in 2006, um, she starts having these religious-themed obsessive compulsions. Oh, no. And if she has a thought that wasn't aligned with her beliefs, um, she would have to say or sing a Bible verse out loud immediately. Um, and then she's diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, medicated and institutionalised for two weeks. Oh. While an inpatient, she steals a bottle of cleaning fluid with the intention oh, no. um, of drinking it to commit suicide. But instead of doing it, she tells a nurse. Right. Okay. So she's got a little bit of insight. She's got a bit of insight into what's going on. She gets released and takes a stack of metazapine, Seroquel, Tylenol, Benadryl at home, and her husband figures out. So this is while they're still together, um, and he figures out there's something wrong, and he saves her life. She goes back to work, (laughs) and then the marriage breaks down because she starts pursuing relationships with women. And um, she leaves her job at Christian Horizons because they have a policy that if you're in a same-sex relationship, you can't work there, which that's changed. On the Christian Horizon. Yeah. (laughs) Two women. Right. Right. So she leaves there and then the girlfriend that she was supposed to be like moving in with in this place called New Brunswick, so she goes to move there with this new girlfriend, but the new girlfriend's like, nah, Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't think I want to be with you. So then she's like, fuck, well, I've just left my job and left my apartment to move in with you. And um, she's like, I don't want to go back to Christian Horizons because they yeah. have this policy and whatever. So she gets uh, a new job. She applies for a new job at Crescent Care and goes to the interview and they basically just give her an orientation and they're like, when can you start? So there was history. Her record's pretty good. Her record is pretty good. And yeah. she had she um, had good references yeah, good. from her previous job. So yeah. um, the it's an extremely busy nursing home though and the ratio is like 1 to 96 oh. overnight. <laughs> and on the days and afternoons it's 1 to 32. Yeah. So she's that's huge. Like I think huge. they have they have like personal care workers. Yeah. It's like I think it's one to sixteen or something that the personal care workers um, support the RN. So she was there as an RN now. So um, and she'd kept her registration because technically the the skills that she was using at her previous job counted towards nursing skills. Sure. So she was able to keep her registration even though she wasn't working as an RN there. Um. She gets back together with this girlfriend that she was going to move for and then that girlfriend who um, has physical disabilities and chronic conditions also has two teenagers, so they all move in with Elizabeth Wetloffer. Um, Wetloffer becomes final, financially responsible for them all and um, has to be a carer as well. And, and her, her partner has Parkinson's epilepsy and then is also an alcoholic, so probably mm. not the best environment. So Elizabeth no. starts drinking again too but not, um, not abusing alcohol to the level that she was. In an interview that Elizabeth did with police and the lawyers after she'd been sentenced, she stated that when she was a psych inpatient, her angers, her anger and feelings of being out of control were so overwhelming that she would fantasise about killing her psychiatrist and the nurses and that having those thoughts going on in her head would actually like ease her and then help her to function and be able to have conversations and um, to yeah. be able to like go on with her life and to be able to control her behaviours and – sure. Um, yeah, so so that's all going on in her personal life at this time, right? Yeah, crazy. And um, then she's 39 years old and she's not long after she starts working at this caressing care, the busy nursing home, these feelings of frustration, overwhelm, stress and anger starts kind of bubbling at the surface again like they did when she was um, in the psych ward. And she lines up her first victim, who's Clotilda Adriano and her sister-in-law, Albina de Medeiros, by injecting them both with large doses of insulin. My favourite. Mm, your favourite. I know, I thought of you <laughs> when I was doing this. So <laughs> she said in her interview um, that at the time I was finding it hard to handle things emotionally and one night I was working, this thought came into my head, just give her too much insulin and see what happens. So I did. Um, she actually attacked Clotilda multiple times over a few months with extra doses of her long-acting long insulin. Um, both women survived these attacks thanks to the care staff at the facility. Mm. It's interesting, when I was reading these, I was thinking, you know, this woman's got a psych history, you know. She's been well-supported though, but then like her social life starts deteriorating and all of a sudden she starts, mm. you know. That was the same with Colin. Yeah, exactly. Social life deteriorates. How do I express... Or get rid of those feelings. Yeah, yeah. And just not, um, I guess, 
she hasn't really got healthy coping strategies. No, really. <laughs> These two women survive. And then August 2011, two th- oh, sorry, August 11, 2007, Wetloff is doing a double. So she worked afternoons in charge and then often worked double shifts like into night shift. So she's doing a double, which is 3 p.m. until 0700. Jesus. She starts to get angry with a resident. This is James Silcox, a World War II vet with dementia, and he was really inappropriate with staff, and he would yell out profanities and become really sexual. And um, he'd had surgery to fixate a fractured pelvis, and after he was injected with a fatal dose of insulin, the doctor on call assumed that he'd suffered a PE post his surgery. Mm. So nothing was done. And and she actually said in her interviews, so so this woman, she confesses to absolutely everything in the end, but she said in her interview that – when she would kill on the afternoons or the evenings, it was an on-call doctor. It wasn't their usual doctor. Sure. So they would just like literally look at the paperwork and she was actually told like when – so the interview that she did went through like, well, what do you do? You have to fill out all this paperwork when someone dies like, and you have to tick through all these boxes like what did you do and, and how does it work? And she was like, oh, I wasn't really shown any of that stuff but it's totally up to our judgment. Like if we think that it's a reportable death then we need to escalate mm. that. But she's like – you know, the doctor would come in and I'd say, well, this is what's happened recently and he's just died and he'll say, oh, well, you know, they're in care so it's expected. So you don't put yeah. unexpected death, you put expected. But Yeah, uh, and especially if they've had surgery or something. Exactly. So in, definitely. in that case it was, I mean, it sounds terrible, it was probably a good victim for her to Course. try and get away yeah. with, right? Because, uh, yeah. And, and nursing home patients are expected to die. Exactly. Well, yeah. at some point. But it's interesting. As we go on, you'll see um, the difference in some of them. So, And she says like that she injected him hoping he would die. She said that she gave him more insulin than the previous two victims because they didn't die. So she basically used those mm. two women as like test subjects to figure Needless. out how much she needed to give in yeah. order to kill someone. Fair enough. Um, Smart. Then she said she couldn't be sure of the exact site of the injection. It would have to be somewhere I hoped wouldn't show. And she knew that the amount injected would harm him. Um, in um, her yeah. written statement after he was overdosed, uh, he called out, I'm sorry and I love you. Miss Wetlaffer told police that she felt absolutely awful and so ashamed about this and felt even worse when his family came in after he died and praised her for being a good nurse. She also told police that after overdosing him, it felt like a pressure had been relieved from me, just pressure lifted from my emotions. Mm. bit scary. Yeah. And then she, she tells police, so she selected these people because they had dementia and that they wouldn't know, remember, resist or be believed if they told anyone. Yes. So then she – So there is some level of um, premeditation with these things. Like it is. You're choosing the patients. But she doesn't choose them ahead of time. She chooses them in the moment. Yeah. So when they piss her off, she decides you're done. I mean, we've all been there. <laughs> we've just never <laughs> acted on it. <laughs> so then she kills Morris Mo Granite. Um, he was in the home less than a month and apparently he groped her and then um, she started feeling those same thoughts of anger and needing release. She yep. injected about f- uh, between 40 to 60 units of short-acting insulin at 0500 mm. and then um, a PSW, personal support worker, finds Mr Granite with altered consciousness, laboured breathing and diaphoretic. She calls the family to tell them that he's dying. So she's like, oh, you better come in. He's not yeah. looking good. Well, that's in, nice in they of come, her. Well, I suppose. At least they didn't die alone. So he died at 11.45 a.m. So it took him about six and a half hours mm. to die. She tells her girlfriend at the time that she's killed two people with insulin. And then her oh, girlfriend says, well, stop that now. <laughs> Don't do it again. And buy me a bottle of booze and on does it, home. And doesn't <laughs> report it. Does nothing no, with that information. No. It, yeah. this, this story gets so fucked up. Oh, so no. then she tries to kill another man, Wayne Henges. She said that she did it because he would occasionally tell people that he wanted to die. Um, mm. And apparently that was actually well documented, that sometimes quite strongly he would say, I just, I just want to be gone. And she said that on one particular night she felt a surge and injected him with additional insulin, insulin but he didn't die. Records indicated that uh, after he became hypoglycemic, Miss Wetloffer administered medication to restore his glucose levels, but she has no recollection of doing that. Okay. Hmm. Then there's Michael Priddle, who she mercy attempted to mercy kill him. Mm. Um, that she um, he'd actually done never done anything to harm her, and that he wasn't a diabetic. And um, she said she felt a surging feeling that this must be God telling me that this man needs to come up to him because he's not enjoying his life at all. 
She thinks she gave him about 90 units of short-acting insulin. And that didn't kill him? It. He just survived the overdose with any uh, staff <gasps> interjection or treatment. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So then Gladys Millard, <laughs> this one didn't make me laugh, but I just thought we all know this woman. Um, you know, moderate to severe dementia, very stubborn. Um, then Wetloffer says she felt a red surge. So then she became known as like the red surge killer. Um, um, and she was like, oh, this red surge is God telling me that Gladys is next. Is that her period? <laughs> <laughs> this time she injects a combination of long and short acting and Miss Millard struggles like it's a full-on fight. And then oh. she dies after 12 <gasps> hours of suffering. Oh. Um and this was the first kill where Wetloffer was like, fuck, I'm going to be found out about this because there was a struggle, I've killed her, mm. everybody will know that it's me. And she realises what she's done wrong. I think she has like this crisis of conscience and she goes back to church. She's like, I'm she's doing the wrong thing. She's starting to like derail herself. I think, well, no, she's oh. going the other way. She's oh. starting to get like, fuck, I've done something really wrong. I need to tell someone, I need to get back on in line with God and and um, devotes yeah. herself, her life to God again and stops killing. So mm. she stops killing for like two and a half years. She tells a high school student who's a friend, apparently this is like, I don't know that how much of this is true, but apparently she was having like inappropriate friendships with some of the volunteer students that would come, like the high school students that okay. would come. And she was like, come to my house. Let's like, let's hang out after work. Sure. Like, so a bit strange. So she had yeah. this friend who was like 17 or 18 and um, she tell, she's like, oh, I'm going to take you out for an hour and a half like an hour and a half drive for your birthday somewhere and um, tells her that she's killed two people, right? Yes. Um, and then apparently the, the girl who she told told police that she was threatened. She was like, if you tell anyone, I, I will end your life. But but Wetloffer says that's, that didn't happen. Like I just told her because I felt like I needed to tell someone Ugh. and then that doesn't get reported. Tell the police. Right, so just <laughs> so she, it, it gets good. So um, then she uh, injects Helen Matheson with 50 units of short-acting insulin with no real motive for this kill. It's not her, enough. Her body was actually exhumed for investigation due to the unexpected Ooh. nature of her, de- of her death. And, um, yeah, so then – and then – this one, she kills uh, Mary Zerowinski in November 6, 2007. So she doesn't kill from like 2008 until 2011. And then. Okay. Um, so then uh, I actually described this lady as fun. Like she was like, oh, she's a spunky lady. She was really fun. And she overdosed her with long and short acting um, insulin. You and a then great reported, laugh while I killed her. Well, and then she reported feeling a laughter in her tummy oh, afterwards. No. So she's starting to get that bit of a thrill from the kills. Yes. Um, at the same time, she prayed and prayed, attempting to control her actions through what she called her devotion to God. She this one made this fucking made me laugh. I'm sorry. She stayed up at night writing poetry. This is in in quotes. As my life is measured by intravenous drops, I yearn for the ghost of a touch. Oh, mm. what a poet! I know. I'm surprised we don't. Get more, more yeah. poetry. Oh my god! Wetluff, I had become the subject of gossip at work. Reprimanded because of her overtly sexual comments to both colleagues and the young volunteers. <laughs> um, then, I think uh, if you're just that little bit crate, like a little bit um, eccentric, eccentric, you can get away with a lot. Yeah, clearly. of course. Like, yeah, you're like, you're like oh, oh, that's just her. That's just her. She's yeah. just she's harmless. Yeah, <laughs> she just makes funny comments. <laughs> Then July 13, 2013. Um, so then she hasn't killed for a little while here either yeah, between 20. Yeah. Um, this lady, Helen Young, 90-year-old lady, would always be yelling help or nurse. You know, the, in nursing homes, <laughs> yes. you always go past someone going, help! We had a bloke, he, was, he used to yell out, SOS, oh! SOS. He was an old, like, oh, army or navy you. or something, and he would Morse code his call bell. Beep, 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 Oh, my God, that is great. Apparently, this lady was really care- difficult to care for and would often express her wish to die. And mm. she was also overdosed with two types of insulin and then was having seizures for hours before she oh, died. Yeah. Maureen Pickering, another one. This is 2014. So nearly a year goes by, like between kills. This resident apparently got on her nerves because she required one to one assistance. She was a wanderer, allegedly aggressive, just having a really bad day. And, um, 
Wetloffer says she didn't really want to kill this lady. She just wanted to put her in a coma or alter her brain so she'd be easier to handle. And she was just getting frustrated and angry. I think every time she got frustrated and angry, she really just couldn't control herself. Yeah. And um, anyway, so the following day this lady was sent to hospital and came back basically comatose and died four days later. Imagine if these, like, um, nurses that just couldn't tolerate grumpy people had made it. Just them all. But imagine if they got the opportunity to nurse through this pandemic. Like where you're the only people looking after them yeah. and you're like tired and mm. in PPE and they're like, All oh, their patients I want to die. Dumb. Right, great, you're going to. You're going to. Well, that's, do you no know problems. she said that? She's like, someone had said to her, I just want to die. And she's like, you will. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start saying that to my patients. You will. Well, when I look them dead in the oh eye. Oh, my God, Kelly. <laughs> So I'm then she that. tells her pastor and his wife in 2014 oh, because God. the guilt is like overwhelming her. And you know what they say? Oh, stop. If you do it again, we'll report you. Not, oh, this is really she, is serious. Is she still just telling them I've only killed two people? No, no, she's telling, she them, telling them I've, I've killed, killed like multiple 11 people. people. Well, at this point I think, I don't know how many, it must have been about six I reckon at this point. Um, so they basically like she's not help her. Help her pray the murderer away, oh, right? I mean, pray the guy away. That didn't work. Now she's with a girlfriend. So I'm going to pray the murderer away. Mm. So um, then she gets sacked, right? Shocking. So in March 2014, she killed um, Maureen Pickering, but then her colleagues also discovered that one of her medication errors had caused a patient intense pain. So the nursing home fired her, citing a lengthy record of infractions. Once again, the union grieved the termination, negotiating to change it to a voluntary resignation on her official record. Um, Then they also got her a $2,000 settlement and a letter of reference. The quote, I got a quote from her letter of reference. So this is after, like, she's, well had some questionable conduct, but also she's got a list of things that she's done wrong. We wish her well and are pleased to provide her with this reference, reads the letter, signed by the Vice President of Human Resources. You know, and what that really means is we wish her well and we give her this reference, good luck, good riddance. Yes. You're someone else's problem. Yeah. So, um, Caressant agreed to one more demand, which was to seal... Wetloffer's employment mm. file. <laughs> the very next month, she was hired at another local nursing oh. home, Meadow Park Long Term Care. Almost immediately, she started stealing morphine to get high, and within months, she'd killed her final victim, Arpad oh. Horvath. She resigned from Meadow Park, then said, I can't do this anymore. I'm killing people. Things aren't going my way. Like, uh, you know, I'm really yeah, struggling here. Really tough. Signs herself into the psych unit. She quits her job, signs into the psych hospital and then um, – so she spends two weeks there. All this time though, like all the time that she'd been killing these people, she had been – so since she was a psych inpatient the first time, yeah. she gets a psychiatrist named Dr. Fernando, the one that she fantasised killing. Yeah. She sees him monthly oh. because she needs scripts for Seroquel. Okay. So – um, so she's been having like therapy, she's like been psychiatric having, care. She's been having psychiatric care, and I use that in quotes, yeah, because she told the police that she really she didn't trust him, and that every time um, she'd sort of tried to trust him, he was like, "Well, you need to get your act together," or you know, like he wasn't very sympathetic and he wasn't very compassionate. So okay. she really felt like she couldn't trust him, and she couldn't. She told other people about the murders, but never told him because. She, I think she was scared, but also that she really needed the Seroquel. So yeah. she was, she was scared that she wouldn't get it if she told him that she yeah, was a imagine killer. Imagine what she would have done if she didn't get the get Seroquel. the Seroquel. Yeah, exactly right. So she was Fuck. actually like medicated all this yeah. time until she went to prison. Then they told her she can't have her medicine, which is anymore. probably what helped her control those urges to the point where she, the ones that she killed were just because she was at. Breaking, breaking point. point. Yeah, and I think that's also why she had those periods of when she was going back to church and when she, her life yeah. was okay and she was medicated, she wasn't – she she could control herself yeah. and she wasn't having those surges that yeah, she said. that's crazy. Yeah. But I said to – I was thinking about this last night. I was like, imagine that psychiatrist now going – I saw her every month. Like, what kind of psychiatrist though, am I? I don't think he's having any of those thoughts. <laughs> I think he's just like – Another one bites the dust. Yeah. Yeah. 
He's just like ticking. He, she, he's just a tick box for her. Yeah. She's come in, get a script. Yeah. Tick the box, yeah, get absolutely. out. Absolutely. Yeah. Then she leaves the psych facility and needs yeah. a job. So she goes and works um, a few overlapping jobs. And one of them was for a nurse, uh, for an agency. Uh, during that time, she attempts to kill two more victims. This this is where – so you say, like, this is where your guy got sloppy. This is where she starts getting sloppy. Yeah. And I think she's just out of control now. So she goes to the home of Beverly Bertram um, and she's this lady's hum, having IV antis for a pick. So she's kind of doing some home nursing support. Yeah. Then that same day she goes to, like, another res, another client's home which wasn't actually booked and she wasn't – the person was in the shower. She goes in to find – to steal insulin and steal morphine, right? Yep. Even though this Beverly Bertram is already on insulin and she's having IV antis into a pick line, no, I'm going to go to somebody else's house, steal their insulin because if I kill Beverly with her, with insulin. her insulin, they'll know it was me. Sus. Right? So anyway, so um, the patient heard something in, from in the shower, calls out, there's no response. She ends the shower, finds Wetluffer going through her medications Wetloffer says, oh, I was just looking for a, a SATS probe that I thought I'd left here, but it's not here. But she's broken into this person's yeah. house, right? Then the next day, August 21, she reattends Beverly Bertram's residence and once again administers IV antibiotics to Bev Bertram. She recalled Wetloffer taking a long time in the kitchen while getting the antibiotics. After receiving what she thought was merely the antibiotics, uh, she describes herself as feeling unusually nauseous and dizzy. Concerned, Beverly Bertram decided not to inject herself with her own insulin that day and was able to recover from that state without any medical help. Oh, Miracle, right? Lucky. And this Beverly Bertram is the only still living victim. Wow. Yeah. So um, she told police about the day, described herself as feeling frustrated. Oh, this is Wetloffer, told the police about that day and described herself as feeling frustrated and angry with her job and all the people that she had to care for that weekend. She felt that same surge that evokes her urge to overdose people and injecting Beverly Bertram with insulin with the intent to kill her was pre-planned. And this is the only one where she's had a day to think about her victim. Like yes. she's thought – I'm going to kill you tomorrow and I'm going to get all of the things that I need in order to do that tomorrow. Yeah. Like this is the first one where that's happened. Pre-planned. Really pre-planned, yeah. Wetloffer said she gave Beverly Bertram a huge amount, 180 in units of insulin via the pick line. Via the pick line? The pick, yeah. So then she finds out that her work for the nursing agency would involve her caring for diabetic children. She resigns. <gasps> She's oh. like, I don't trust myself. Oh, thank So she resigns. Christ. Then she takes the train to Toronto, checks herself into the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health. Oh, thank God. Because she gets scared. Like, yeah. Do you know, I've got goosebumps thinking about yeah. this because I'm like, I do kind of feel sorry for her in a yep. way. I feel like yeah. she had the support, didn't feel like she could trust the people that were supposed to be supporting her. She told like 14 people mm. along the way. So she so she checks herself into the Centre of Addiction and Mental Health. She remained there for about three weeks until October 5, 2016. And even though she walked in on her own, they ended up sectioning her. Yeah. Um, at the time of her admission, there was no ongoing criminal investigation. No one was any the wiser. No. Like it, it just – and it's interesting because the, the interview she did after her sentencing with the police was all for like what things can we put in place to stop people like you killing vulnerable yeah. people. And so she did this great big massive three-hour interview with them that I nearly read 90 pages of. <laughs> And she was really like, these are the reasons, this is how much access I had. Like nobody was counting the insulin so I could easily grab a spare cartridge. Like those spares were just spares. Yeah. And when we ran out, we just rang the pharmacy and said, can you send more? Yeah. Like, and so she basically gave them all this information yeah. into how she had the ability to yep. do what she did. Um, and she says like, you know, to stop people doing it in the future. Like she, it's the strangest thing. Um. So no investigation, um, but then once she's there, she tells um, her psychiatrist. Sure. She also is on like Facebook chat rooms with ex-boyfriends and some friends from high school who she tells. Yeah. and She then, really just wants someone to stop her. I think she does, like yeah, all the she way. Really, she, but she she's says, trying so hard. She told, she told her girlfriend who didn't really believe her or didn't care. seemed not to. Mm. The pastor and his wife fully believed her. And didn't do anything about it. No. Um, 
I'll go into a bit more. Um, so once she tells her this psychiatrist while she's an inpatient, they took it, they take her seriously and they make her write a statement and they contact the police. Yeah. While she's there also, she tells an ex-boyfriend online and he rings the police. Okay. Um, oh, no, sorry, he doesn't. The friend does. Yeah. She tells a friend. The ex-boyfriend's like, well, why, didn't you just, why don't you just get a job where you're not going to kill people? <laughs> Is it fucked? Um, so then, and she actually, in this time, like after she'd killed a few people, she went and consulted with a lawyer, right? And she was like, I've killed people and I don't know what to do. I don't know why she didn't go to the police at that point. But I feel like there's a lot – I feel like there's a big difference between telling other people and telling police. Yeah, probably. Like I maybe you want someone else to do that for you. For you. Like there's a big difference between walking into a police station and just telling a friend in a chat room. Yeah. Or your doctor and while you're, you know, stuck in a mental institution. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And so she goes and consults a lawyer and she's like, I've killed people, I don't know what to do. And the lawyer says, it's in your best interest not to tell anyone. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> the advice. <laughs> I'm just not. But he actually did refer her to get mental treatment because she's not sure that he believed her. Like lots of the people she told, she wasn't sure that they believed her. I know, that's... It's sad and that's... It I, is sad. It's sad. I'm, I'm conflicted. Re- I was yeah, really yeah, quite yeah. on her side because I'd started reading her interview first. Yeah. And so I was really on her side, and then, yeah. but I'm like, you, you're a psycho. You really did kill. I mean, she is a psychopath, but yeah. also clearly, really, really Struggle. wanting help. Yeah, really, yeah. Like uh, for a long time, has and always sought psychiatric care. Her own has taken yeah. medication. Like she's clearly medicating herself. I think well. it probably didn't help that her family were happy clappers and kept forcing her into the Jesus religion. Yeah, I know. You know, grandiose delusions of religion. It just. Right. And that's and like she was saying, God was telling me to kill them well, or whatever. Like, you, maybe you could justify that. But then she's telling people, and people are like, mm, whatever. Stop. Yeah. Just don't do it anymore. Stop okay. It. Uh, then we can't be friends if you keep doing that. Yeah. Uh, don't tell me again. So, and then the, um, the CAMH, the mental health place, um, they reported her to the College of Nursing as well. Um, then over the course of 20 days, she just continued confessing and then giving all these details. And um, So she police just, involved? Yep, police okay, involved good, at this yeah. point. And she just insisted that she wanted to be taken seriously like because Fair no enough. one had taken her, yeah. her confession seriously. So she's treated. Um, they basically get, yeah, get her to write everything down. She writes a four-page confession uh, stating that she'd murdered eight patients under her care and administered insulin non-fatedly to six others. Shit. She later told police writing, that writing it out was my decision. I was under no duress when I wrote them out and she was very, very careful when she wrote it. Yeah, it's, so that's that. Yeah. And they hand her admission to police and facilitate her speaking with police. She told 13 people in total, a handful of those was while she was at CAMH, sure. knowing yep. that she was... Yeah. Probably going to be She still told many persecuted. people before. She so she would have told probably eight people. Okay. Before. Yeah. Yeah, and no, nobody did anything. Sure. That some of them because they all got interviewed obviously yeah. after she was arrested, and they were like, "Oh, well, I was planning on telling police, but I didn't know if it was yeah. true or she'd threatened me or whatever." Like, what? Honestly, though, if someone came to you and said, "I've killed people," mm-hmm. mm, and if you don't know them that well, like, or, or if if Cam, like if Cam came to you and said, "I think I've killed someone. I, I know that I've killed someone." Mm. What what would you be your knee jerk reaction? I don't. Well, I, I, how would you know? I know, but I would like to think that I would dob them in. I mean, I'm yeah, a bit then of if a dobber anyway. You'd want to protect them, wouldn't you? Oh uh, no, no, what, no. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. not anymore. Maybe after watching these, but and then if like, it's someone you don't know real well, you'd think. But Are also, you me on? Like, if they if they about? came if he came to me and said, "Oh, I killed someone." <laughs> I yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to answer. But I honestly think I would tell – I would dob. Mm. I'd be like, oh. no. So she was sentenced to uh, eight consecutive life sentences. Oh, yeah. But she's eligible for parole in 2041. Oh, Canada's obviously a little well, leaner than yeah, they are, <laughs> the USA. Seriously. But then the, apparently, like, whoever the person was in court – I haven't got it in front of me. How old would she be said, then, though? Dead? Uh, no, she's like our, our parents' age. In 20 years? Yeah. I don't think my mum will be dead in 20 years. Oh, I think my – I mean my she dad's 70. I think she was 70. born in 67, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, yeah, so 
Uh, the apparently the court people said that she probably won't ever get parole. No, because yeah. you can. Um, uh, well, I don't know about in America or Canada, but you know you can go to the parole hearing and say why you don't want, don't think they should be allowed out mm. because of whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. she. Um, she's, in Australia, though, they probably just get out. <laughs> yeah, probably, and then just kill more people. Yeah, exactly. Or like mow people down with their car. Um, she's being treated in an inpatient women's psychiatric prison. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She probably needs to be. Yeah. yeah I, it, it's so confusing, like, reading her statements. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I really did genuinely feel sorry for her. I think – Well, when I did my time in the forensic <laughs> – I didn't do time. When I, <laughs> when I was a student at the forensic um, mental health uh, place in Perth, mm. there was a, a lady there who and, – and this is – you know, it's been in the news and stuff um, – who had killed – her babies Mm. and I read her file before I met her and I mean Mm. she should never have had children she had 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 multiple suicide yeah she had her babies um and then walked out in front of a bus four days later out the front of the hospital like it was she was always going to kill herself she just took the babies with her and failed at killing herself because her mother-in-law came in and saved her um but you know like she was so mentally unwell yeah. and she should just never have had those children mm. because her drugs like she, yeah she wasn't controlled even on the on the strongest of and drugs if, and if like you're i feel capable like of looking after yourself and, yeah. and being well how on earth yeah. could you fathom and i feel like your lady like literally tried so hard to st- she didn't try hard to stop herself no. but she told others obviously wanting crying for help to be stopped mm. or you don't tell someone that you murdered two people with the expectation that they're just going to say, well, stop that. No, exactly right. Or you do it again and I'm going to dub you in. Yeah. Because if you know telling someone that you've killed someone yeah. is going to set off a chain of events. Absolutely. And I think also like she'd had multiple suicide attempts and still was able to yeah. be a nurse, which I I get in a way. Like I think – Okay, you can come back from that, like, yeah. and you can be mentally well after yeah. that kind of thing. It takes a lot of work. It does take a lot of work, and I think there has to be more support. support. But then also, mm. like, she wasn't forthcoming to those people that were no. that were trying to provide her with that support. And she obviously was stable enough in her workplace to. Although not she did tell her NA sponsor. Yeah, like I if there's like a code of. Silence or something. It's just, yeah. And then they Mm. were saying that, oh, well, when we get to step four or whatever it is, the one where you've got to make amends, whatever one, we'll have to find certain things for you to make amends. Like we'll have to. She's like, that's easy. All the families of the dead people I've killed. Yeah, well, that's like, so (sighs) she was saying, and and they interviewed her about all the people that she told and she said that, they they said, did you think that your sponsor believed you? And she said, well, yeah, because she was going to help me make amends for it. So (sighs) she believed me that I'd killed people. Shit. And I don't think she was ever really – I don't think she was under the influence when she no. killed these people either. I think the – I honestly don't think that's their – always their problem. I feel No. Because like, I don't think Colin had any – I couldn't find any addiction issues with him either. He was just like – I wonder if it's like that feeling when you're in front of the fridge and you're like, I really shouldn't have that donut, but I really want that donut. Well, And then in the end you grab it and eat it really quick and then you feel really <laughs> bad about it later. Like I wonder if that's like what what – goes through their mind like that that compulsion and then yeah yeah. they haven't got that ability which i mean i don't when i'm looking at food i mean i do when i when i'm nursing my patients like i i'm able to restrain myself from killing them yeah (laughs) surprisingly (laughs) (laughs) no yeah but i i wonder if that's that similar kind of feeling they get of that compulsion like that impulse and then they're just not able to refrain there's um a road back home where i used to have to drive um, to my mum's house and when you're coming it goes up a big hill and when you're coming down the hill there's as it comes around a bend there's like a um, like a um, an area where you can stop like for a bit of a lookout because it's a beautiful view but mm. it goes like a downhill sort of like a cliff type right. thing and every time I go around that corner I always think I wonder if I just go, what would happen if I just go straight ahead oh my god like it my whole life I've always thought that, right, going down this one particular road. But obviously I'm never going to do it. No, of course. Like because you, you have those thoughts and those – but you, like you know what's going to happen. You're going to die, yeah. right? But you don't, you don't act on it. No. And so I wonder – these people think 
maybe if they're first kill, I wonder how long it's taken for them to actually do that first kill mm. with the thought of if I just give them a syringe of digoxin or a syringe of insulin, mm. how is that – How like what well, am I going to do? And then, then they do it, mm. like that build-up. I wonder what mm. that's like. It must be thrilling. While I'm compassionate for mm. like Elizabeth yeah. Willoffer, I do think that – like she well and truly knew what she was doing at the time. Yes. She knew that she wanted to kill them. She yep. knew that she wanted to end their life. And also she spent a few months testing on these two women yeah. and testing what would happen Doses if I gave a little stuff. bit. And then later she says that she actually Googled, you know, how much insulin do you need to kill someone? And they and they ended up retrieving her um, computer. And God, it was interesting. I hope they don't. Before she checked herself to into the – what our Google searches <laughs> look know, like. right? <laughs> <laughs> they actually – well, it's funny you say that because yeah. when she, before she checked herself into the um, to the centre, like prior to being arrested, she Googled uh, five nurses who've killed their patients. Like it was like a story <laughs> that she read. And then she also Googled her victims' names. Oh. I think maybe because she knew she was going to confess yeah. and wanted to know their details but then read their obituaries. Oh. And that confused me. I yeah. was like, what am I feeling here? This is confusing. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was very – I was very I conflicted. think that's why we're not um, like killers because we have <laughs> – Is that the only reason? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we have the means and the access, <laughs> don't we? But I feel like because we have that level of compassion, like I bet yeah, they course. don't have that level of and compassion I, or empathy. I sat there feeling what she was feeling sometimes, like while mm. I was reading all this and then also feeling for her victim so yeah, much. Of like, course. And um, – yeah, especially yeah. that last one. Like, imagine oh, like 180 units being injected into her pick, and she's like, oh, I'm not feeling survived. very well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty crazy. Oh, my God. Well, that's another episode that reminds me that nurses are healthcare heroes, but also psychopathic killers. Pretty fucked up. I know. Maybe they just need a coffee to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, don't forget to leave us a review on your podcast listening platform of choice Uh, give us a follow at two humorous nurses podcast feel free to send us an email hello at two humorous nurses.com thanks so much we'll uh, thanks chat to you next time Bye. bye